0: Power Users, episode 155, Workflows with Jason Snell. Hello, everybody. It's David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. Hi, Katie. Hey, David. And we've got with us today, Jason Snell. How are you doing, Jason? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. Oh, it's it's great having you back. Uh, Jason and I are breakfast buddies like once a year, or twice a year, because your, your in-laws are down near me. So.
1: California people have all the fun.
0: Oh, we do. I, I love it because I need a nerd fix once in a while. I spend my whole, you know, work days dealing with a different world. And whenever I can get around somebody that actually is interested in the stuff that I really love talking about, I just jump all over it. I don't know if Jason has a choice. I just like show up on his doorstep, you know, big puppy eyes.
2: Uh, no it's nice it's Come nice to do that one down Come there. Come play with me. <laughs> I'm down there with uh usually I'm down there with my kids and 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 my wife at at the uh at my in-laws house and you know they 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 have all sorts of stuff that they do. They don't mind me going away. They they entertain themselves. I can go away for a breakfast here and there and Yeah. They're fine with that. They've got <laughs> their stuff that they do. So Well,
0: well we had you on the show and I think it was over 2 years ago now. It's been a while. And and Jason, if if you don't know, Jason um and I, I always get the titles wrong but for the longest time you were in my mind the editor of Macworld magazine you were the guy who made everything happen
2: i was i had various titles for that as editor in chief or editorial director of Macworld and for the last year and a half or so i've been um in addition to being in charge of Macworld i'm in charge of uh PC World and a new site that we launched called TechHive now it's not i'm not the editor in chief of PC World i hired a guy basically my role of ultimately became to come in and hire a guy to run um PC World the people who were previously running it left and I hired a guy who works for me who is uh named John Phillips who's great and he is the editor in chief of PC World and Tech Hive so you know my job is uh sort of broader and uh, I'm doing more kind of like big picture stuff and, you know, and honestly some more of the kind of grunt work of, of, you know, working with other departments and stuff that's more bureaucratic than I probably like, but uh, I'm trying to find time to always, you know, keep writing about stuff mostly for Macworld, some for tech hive and, and keep doing the editorial pure editorial stuff that I love because again, you know, in this, in this uh, business of, of media, they end up promoting editors because they like them as editors and writers and then tell them they need to do this other job, which is managing. <laughs> it's yeah. like, okay, that's not really why I'm here, but alrighty. So it's finding a balance has been has been interesting, but it's been good to have uh uh, you know, some people like John on the team who are, you know, he's the one who's taken charge with PC World and Tech Hive And that that lets me not have to dig down deep because I don't know that stuff like he does. I mean, the, all the, you know, the world of Microsoft and PCs and things like that is not my thing. So I'm glad that I uh, found somebody who's really good who knows about that stuff.
1: So yeah, have well, you... It, go ahead,
0: David. Well, it, it really is remarkable in a lot of businesses where you have someone who's really good at something and they get promoted to essentially herd cats and stop doing what they're so good at but but that's not really the case for you because i still see your byline coming across the uh the mac world and the tech hive rss feeds but it's it's always special because you you know the when you when you get to take the time to write something it's usually something really interesting so i always enjoy
2: well, it. well that's kind of you to say sometimes i write things that are not that exciting i think just because i need to i need to write something because it, it it does keep me this is almost turning into like a like a back to work or something there. <laughs> it does keep me balanced to write and edit. And also I don't want to, you know, I'm, I wasn't interested. I think some people who get promoted into upper management there, it's like, okay, good. I can leave the trappings of editorial behind and I can be a manager. And, uh, for whatever reason, I, I, I'm not willing to do that. I'm not interested in doing that. I, I could have disappeared, and everybody would be like, "Whatever happened to Jason?" Well, he's got he got promoted, and now he doesn't write and he doesn't edit things, and he you know he he's disappeared. And I you know professionally, I, I'm pretty proud of the work that I've done over the years covering technology in general and Apple in particular. And I I, I not only do I not want to give that up because I think it's uh, I like the visibility, I like people saying he he writes about this stuff and he knows about this stuff, but also it does actually keep me sane to do that I think if if my job was entirely just meetings and management I would go nuts because that's not you know I, I think that's not how I measure productivity I, that's like the stuff that I do if I do all that all day I come home and I think I don't know what I did today even though I did probably important work I don't know what I did today whereas if I wrote a story I'm like I was productive today I wrote a story and you know that's just yeah. how I'm wired because I've been doing this since uh since college really or even since high school so um, you know, it's a balance. Trying to find a balance between those two things.
1: Well, it sounds like you get to be more selective in the stories that you do write. I mean, I know I still see your byline on on some of the in depth features that you're you're doing a series on on Mavericks right now, and then more recently I saw you did the review of the TiVo Romeo, which maybe wouldn't have been something that MacWorld necessarily would have covered before you you branched out and were were over PC World and Tech Hive and and things like that. And those are things that you know I was particularly interested in the TiVo Romeo and. Uh, I, that's probably a topic for a different show. But when I saw you, you wrote that article. I was like, oh, well, this this is the one of all of the you know every site's publishing them today. This is the one that I, I definitely want to read.
2: So, well, but, that's that's great. I I appreciate that. Uh, it is it does give me some flexibility to do a little more than I uh, than I did before. That's true.
1: But how has your day to day work changed? Because I know when we talked about the last workflow show, you talked a lot about your writing workflow and and how you would moved and were working a lot on a MacBook Air and things like that. But have, have you found that you're, although you're still writing, but perhaps you're being more selective about your writing and moving into more managerial and administrative tasks, that the tools that you're using and uh, your your day-to-day things have, have changed a lot?
2: No, no, I wouldn't say so. Other than that, you know, when you're looking at budgets, people send you things in Excel and so you have to open Excel and use that. Or you, you know, when you're doing annual employee reviews, people send you things in Microsoft Word and they expect you to fill out the form in Microsoft Word, which is really awful the form filling interface in Word. But uh, you do it because that's what they send it in. And so you've got to do it. But other than that, I mean, my writing. You know my writing t- uh, workflows haven't haven't changed dramatically because I'm still I mean, I spend more time, I suppose, a little more time in things like OmniGraffle to do org charts and things like that if I'm trying to figure out reporting relationships and, and I'll use that a little bit more. But most of the time, and I'm more time ta- I'm spending more time in email because I'm spending more time in email. So I'm spending more time in mail or mail plane or something like that rather than. Uh, you know, rather than BB Edit, because I have to answer emails more than I did. But uh, I don't think the the task weighting has shifted. But I don't know if the fundamental you know parts of each task have changed that much.
0: So let's jump off an email. Are you a Hatfield or a McCoy? So are you in Gmail or are you in Apple Mail? Actually, that's a loaded question. I know the answer now from our lunch.
2: So we use Gmail. At work, we have Google Apps for domains or Google, whatever they call it, Apps for Enterprise. And then we, and my personal domain is also a Google Apps account. So I have Gmail on both of my uh, domains that I use. Um, I believe our corporate IT people are moving us to Microsoft stuff in the next few months. Uh, mostly for interoperability with the rest of the company because the rest of the company is on Outlook and like you exchange share calendars,
1: three sixty five yeah. stuff. Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, my big problem with that is that I, I think I I think I I like having Gmail's webmail <laughs> available to me, but yeah. uh, but most of the time I actually have been in Apple Mail recently. Although I've been using Mavericks and Apple Mail's uh, stability in Mavericks has been has been spotty. So I actually, for the last couple of weeks, I've been using Mailplane again and liking that and reminding myself that I can't get too into it because pretty soon my, more, my work mail is going to vanish from Gmail and Google Calendar and go into um, Exchange. And then I'm going to be back with Apple Mail and, and Calendar or I'm going to be using Outlook Um Probably not. But, you know, those are those are going to be my choices. So for now, this is where I am.
0: Yeah. In my day job, I'm using Microsoft 365 Exchange email and it works just fine in Apple Mail. I've had really no troubles with it.
1: Yeah. Email so, is is really a topic that we, we plan on coming back to at, at some point. And so but what are you it still seems to be a chronic problem for people. Are you kind of a inbox zero type guy? Or are you someone who'll check your email once an hour or when it dings are you back into it?
2: Um I don't do mail notifications at all.
1: Okay. Um, Amen. My, my,
2: Good. My, my iPhone doesn't check. I can check my mail, but my iPhone doesn't automatically check. I get no uh, I get no push notifications. I have push notifications set up for if my mom sends me an email, if my wife sends me an email, or if Apple sends me an email. Are you doing but, that through VIPs? Yeah, that I'm was still, my question. I'm actually doing that through, um, through Boxcar because I already had it set up before they did the VIP thing, and it still works. And the thing about VIPs is you've got to have your VIP set, and you've got to have it auto-checking all the time. And with Boxcar, um, I'm routing my mail through Boxcar, which means... I guess for paranoid people, Boxcar could read my mail. It doesn't read my mail, um, but uh, I've talked. I've thought about that about switching to a VIP system. Um, but then my phone's going to be auto checking Gmail all the time, and you know, I I, could, I guess now I could turn off all the notifications that aren't VIPs, and it would be like it was silent except for when those you know three things happen. But um, you know, uh, it's it, you know, my point is that I, I try not to get email interrupted. And occasionally I'll get somebody who's like, but I sent you that email 10 minutes ago. Uh, I am me and they'll be like, did you read that email? Like, no, <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I, I don't have any audible chimes when email comes in. Nothing like that. I can see it. If I look in the doc or if I'm using Mailplane in the menu bar, I can see that there's something there. Although sometimes I'll leave, I'll have unread messages in there anyway. I won't notice that the number is incremented or anything like that. Um, I'm I used to be an obsessive Eudora user and would file everything in mailboxes. I um I gave that up a long time ago. Um uh, especially with Gmail, the um uh, ability to just kind of archive it and find it later via search is powerful enough for me that I'm pretty happy about that. Now going to Office uh three sixty five, our IT department has decided in their infinite wisdom, um and that was sarcasm, to cap our I wasn't I, really sure. Thanks yeah, for to to, <laughs> to cap our our archive at two years, and oh, really? I, I keep e- I keep email forever. I I think what it is is that our corporate attorney has yeah, decided that he say. doesn't. He does. Sorry to throw the lawyer under the bus, but why why keep emails around that could be subpoenaed if we could auto delete them? Well, the answer is I will now save them on my hard drive where they can be subpoenaed so well done um yeah i wouldn't
0: blame the i wouldn't blame the it guys that sounds to me like it came from somebody else oh
2: no the it guys actually threw the lawyer on the bus the it guys said this is it this is a policy decision not a technical decision (laughs) i was like oh so it is it is the the corporate lawyer who said uh let's set it at two years because why not um and the answer why not is that i just the other day i was looking for an email um confirmation we were trying to figure out what account what email address signed up for a particular social networking account and it was signed up more than 2 years ago and um i and i thought to myself oh this is one of those examples where if somebody saved that sign up email so that when we lost track of who signed up for it later we could find it we would now not be able to find it because of this policy so i guess i'll start saving things to my hard drive and and searching them using spotlight or something like that but right now i read email and i leave it in my inbox if i need to act act on it Um, and and I archive it if I need to if it's something I might need later and I delete it if I'm if it's like a press release or something else that I'm not interested in at all and that's it that's my entire filing system and then I search for things Um, I used mailbox the app on my iPhone for a while and I might go back to that because I liked the ability to basically defer things from your inbox and have them boomerang back to you later to deal with um, instead of because that gets you to to a true more or less inbox zero whereas um the approach of uh, uh of uh, of mine is just to leave them all sitting in there and and you have to remember to go back and deal with them at some other point but but that's it that's my system it, it, i i completely abandoned the filing um like sort of like adam Inkst. i think it's a very similar kind of thing i don't i don't i haven't completely embraced the gmail interface like he has but um but I definitely have embraced the fact that uh, I have on on the web with Google and on my own Mac with Spotlight, I have computers that can index all the text in all my emails and find it for me when I need to find it. And I'm a yeah. decent enough searcher. I don't need to, you know, I don't need to waste any time dragging things into little mailboxes like I used to with Eudora. That's I, calming... I wonder how
1: much time I'm wasting doing that. I have abandoned that practice on all my personal email accounts and I've never really had a problem finding anything. But still with the work email and the type of work that that David and I do, I, I still throw them into client folders based on, on projects. And every once in a while, every couple of months, I'll look at them and I'll think, man, maybe, maybe I can just throw all this stuff in a massive archive. And, or maybe at least just for closed files, I can throw all this stuff in a massive archive. Because we try not to print everything if, if we can avoid it and, you know, end up with these massive paper files that we end up just scanning in oh, yeah. anyway. Yeah.
0: Well, that's. That's really a whole nother kind of issue with lawyers. But I I, I do think we have lots of issues, but no, I, I you know, there is. A, and I don't want to go down this rat hole too far. But I mean, there is a case to be made for printing emails to PDF and saving them as documents if you're in the kind of business where you need them as as potential evidence in court. But but the um but I think there's a lot of people, myself included who spent untold hours with micromanaging nested folders of emails for years and years. And, and at some point you stand back and you say all the time I spent doing that, how many times did I actually go into a folder to find an email? And, and then when you look at, you know, on Apple, it's not just spotlight and Apple mail, the search tokens are really powerful. If you're not using them, you should, I mean, not telling you Jason, but just the people out there listening. Um, and, and you really don't need anything other than an archive. I am not sold on this idea of kicking an email out two days. Um I I, I maybe because I have a different way of dealing with I have an action folder. So it doesn't stay in my inbox. I either deal with it. I put it in the action folder and deal with it in a day or two or I send it to Omnifocus.
2: That's what Mailbox is doing is yeah. it's creating it's creating an action folder where it's monitoring the action folder not you and you yeah. just monitor the inbox. That's what it is because I'm not an action folder person. I've tried it, I failed at it. And with with Mailbox what you're doing is saying br- bring this back, you know, it's Friday night. I don't need to deal with this until I'm back at work. Bring this back into my inbox Monday morning, and now you know that it's not on your list in your inbox of things yeah. to do. Um, but that's what it is. It's a it's a conceit. It it is like the action folder for people who don't do action folders.
0: The the other thing I do is um, following up on your your comment on notifications is I even turn off the badge on my iPhone. So I do have it push email to me on iOS because when I open email, everything's there, but. I have no way of knowing when email goes in there and, and that works for me, but, and it really, do, it's really easy to say that uh, for me, because I've got the kind of business I have. I don't have a boss that sends me an email and is angry at me if I don't respond in two, in two minutes. And I know
2: there's, that's what VIPs would be for though, is then, yeah. then if the email comes in from your boss, it gives you a notification, but everybody else, it doesn't. Yeah. And that that's good because I get a lot of email. You probably get a lot of email and you just can't, You can't deal with, I I find it really quaint when people have, you know, a chime when they get a new message or a notification when they get a new message or, or honestly, a mention on Twitter or it's just like, (laughs) no, forget it. I have, I have, if I get a DM on Twitter. Um, I get a notification about it, and if somebody mentions the incomparable, actually, I get a little notification about it because that doesn't happen that often, and it's not on my main account, so I have to go look for it, and I want to respond. That's it. You know, I, those That's pretty much my, my total push notification set up on my iPhone.
0: Yeah, I, DMs on Twitter are very hard for me to manage when it's somebody that wants me to do something. It's just, it's it's outside of my usual sphere of capturing things that I need to do. And when somebody asks me to write an article or something in a DM, I have to really think about it, stop, copy the text, put it in OmniFocus or whatever your task management, but you know, it's like a, it really throws me off. I, I know I've looked like a complete flake to people that have done th- asked me to do things on DMs because of that.
2: I, I view, uh, I view DMs as being almost like chat and very, very, very short chat. Like like yeah. one back and forth. Um, or I don't know the best email for you, and I sorta of want this to be important. Uh, so I'm gonna send it to your inbox, but you know, but that's it. Uh, Glenn Fleischman sometimes will use uh DMs as a chat medium, and it's insane because it makes all of my devices chime every time he replies to me it's like no stop so i'll often have to like switch him to iMessage. <laughs> it's like we're gonna do this over here now Glenn, <laughs> because i i don't think dms really work as a as a chat medium but it is sometimes it's a really effective way to get a uh, quick response from somebody
0: I, well, I only follow like 100 people i think like every other message in my stream is from glenn
2: yeah <laughs> Glenn, Glenn quit Twitter once. <laughs> Good times. Anyway, I love Glenn, but he, he, he. Um, there should be a feature on Twitter that uh, rate limits people uh, display of tweets from people and collapses them. Like you know, if you shoot twenty pictures in a thirty second span or a minute long span, uh, most photo programs will stack them together and be like, "Well, this is all part of the same stack." Um, uh, they should do that with Glenn's tweets. It's like if Glenn or anybody, no, it's not like a feature just for Glenn, but he would be the number one user of it uh you know he tweets 10 things in two minutes it would be like okay glenn tweeted this and 10 other things click to reveal i think that would be after they're done with this blue lines thing on twitter.com i think that should be the next one is to shut up the uh the the people who talk too much i mean the fact that i'm still
0: following says that he has some really good stuff in there that's you know it's
2: just just so much of it and retweets you can actually turn off people's retweets though
0: oh you can't know that
2: yeah, on, on Twitter's website, if you find the right path, you can get to a user and you can say, don't show me their retweets.
1: And you can do it in TweetBot, too, if that's what you use, David, is you just click and hold on the retweet and click the a button will pop up that says something about disable retweets from this person. It's great. Yeah. So Jason, how does someone get a hold of you quickly? What what is the medium that you use for that? Cuz it sounds like it's not email and I think that's great because you I personally don't want to train people to think that email is the way that you get a hold of me quickly. So if if I need to get a hold of Jason in a hurry and we won't tell people how to do that, but people who know how, how what's the preferred method? It's well,
2: 7530. Uh, the editors I work with, well, it's a, there's a bunch of different ways. Um our entire editorial group is on HipChat, uh, and if you at mention me on HipChat, which is a group, it's like Campfire. It's a group chat uh, with a bunch of different chat rooms, and we use that to coordinate day in and day out what our coverage is. You know who's doing what. Um, if you and you can do at mentions there of the users, and if you're not, if you're not logged in, it will send a push notification to your phone, or it'll send an email um, to you saying you just got mentioned and you weren't logged in. And if I am logged in, it'll chime and say, they just mentioned you. And if somebody sends me a, somebody can send me a direct in HipChat. And when I'm on my Mac at work logged in, I'll get those. Um, there's a, a subgroup of people who will use IM or or um, iMessage to reach me. And that tends to be sort of the, um, it's mostly a leftover from when I was exclusively on Macworld. And it's mostly the Macworld crew and, or or the incomparable crew kind of, uh, what you know, did you check this out or look at this thing or what are we, you know, what, what are we talking about tonight or things like that will come in. So I'm all over the place. Um, but yeah, if you wanted to reach me immediately and you were somebody that I work with, um, you know, I am or I is probably the best way or hip chat. If I'm, if we're logged in there and uh, I would say after that, if you're, if you're somebody I follow on Twitter and you follow me, DM actually would get me fast because that's gonna, that's gonna generate a push notification. But that's, um, and that's nice because it's only people I follow who follow me. Um, so not any random person can DM me, which is kind of nice.
1: And tell me about what you're using Boxcar for. Are you just using it for for your kind of workaround to VIPs or are you yeah. using it for other stuff too? Because that's an interesting yeah, it, workflow. It's mostly
2: that. I mean, Boxcar, what I like about Boxcar is that it is a fairly reliable push notification service. A I wouldn't do it now. With VIPs, I, I'm using it because it's already in place, but I wouldn't do it now because I would turn off all the notifications for VIPs, set certain VIPs. I think it's a little more flexible than VIPs. You can, it, you can anything you can trigger with a forwarding command from your mail server. So with Gmail, I have a forwarding trigger, a, a bunch of them. Um, I also can set up different pushes to different accounts for different actions. So when my wife emails me, it's a different sound than when Apple emails me, which is kind of nice. Um, and then I, I, use it for a couple of other things, but it's nothing particularly exciting. I think my weather station in my backyard has weather alerts that will ping something off of there. I've got a couple things on my Mac that will kick off, a uh, uh, using growl that will, um, growl talks to boxcar and it'll kick off a notification. So something will happen on my Mac at home while I'm out somewhere and it'll send me a push, which is kind of neat. So there's little things like that, but I probably wouldn't have gone to boxcar now given, that Apple has done a better job of, of uh, letting you choose sort of granular notifications of things like emails. But I do use it uh, because I already set it up and so it's there and I know how to use it.
0: I've also seen people do that with Gmail or with Apple Mail rules in Apple Mail too. If this, then that, and then they can you know flash the lights and do all sorts of things.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a similar idea. I mean, the way Boxcar works is literally just you know you it gets an email and it sends you a push. It's it's basically a, a very simple interface tied to a push notification service that that is connected to Apple service. Um, I I I can't use Apple Mail for anything like that because I don't have a Mac that's on all the time checking mail. Yep. Uh, but a Gmail rule that and that's what I use is a Gmail rule, a server-based rule that says if this message happens to hit all of these things, send a message or you know forward the message body or send a message to this obscure Boxcar email address, and all Boxcar does is basically pass that on with a a, a noise. Katie, we should talk about our first sponsor.
1: We should, because this is this is gonna solve one of Jason's problems. So our first sponsor for this episode is Busy Mac, and they make the amazing BusyCal program. And it has once again become my default calendaring application on the Mac. And BusyCal is like calendar but on steroids it has so many additional features and much more customization that once you start using it, it's going to be really hard to go back to the calendar application. And David, it has 100% less Corinthian leather and torn edges.
0: Yes, that's nice.
1: So that's, that's feature number one for BusyCal. cow. Um, but it also has things like you can create customizable views. So in BusyCal, I think I have a 10 day view set up as my default view. So I can see a few more days ahead into the week and the week always starts on whatever today is, so I'm always looking a few days ahead in the future. It's got great to-do integration, so it will sync with your to-do list, whether that's in reminders or wherever you you sync those. Um, it has a better alarm functionality, because that was really something that we lost in the last last version of Mac OS 10, was that you know you got this this default alarm that you could but you couldn't really customize when it would alarm and and how long it would snooze. And BusyCal takes care of some of that. You can do things like add the weather or customize graphics to your calendar. So we've got uh, some holidays coming up. And if you wanted to put, like, say, a pumpkin on um, October 31st for Halloween, you could certainly do that. But the number one big feature of BusyCal version 2.5, which was what allowed me to move back to BusyCal, is it now has support for Microsoft Exchange. And like you, David, we run Exchange 365 in our office And it has the best exchange support of any calendaring application that I've used. I have found that BusyCal has better exchange support than Apple's Calendar because I was getting all kinds of random errors thrown up when I was using Calendar app for exchange support. And since I've been moving over to BusyCal, I've had none of those issues. So I just could not be any happier with BusyCal now that it has exchange support and managing all of my calendars and integrating with shared calendars in our office network and letting people set up events on my calendar and send me invitations to calendars, it's just absolutely seamless. So you can pick up BusyCal for $29.99. It's available on the Mac App Store. Or if you want to try before you buy, that's fine. You can get a 30-day free trial available on their website, and you can find more info over at Busymac.com.
0: Yeah, they did a great job. That 2.5 is a free update too. So if you already bought it at version two, you're good. Go get, get your update. Okay, Jason. I know that you, in addition to being a a mogul of the tech media, is that the right word? Maybe not. <laughs> it's
2: really not. But yes, go yeah. ahead. Sure.
0: Well, you're also an author, or uh, you write. You're, you're no. writing some fiction.
2: Yes, let's, yeah, let's put it that way. That's a lot, a lot less fancy. So let's let's I, say that.
0: I, I feel your pain. It's so hard when you're doing something and you, you don't have a nine to five job where you can just, you know, clock out at five and be done. Things are always happening, especially now that you've got three different publications under your purview uh but it's really hard to go home and and get excited about writing something but i know you've been working on a fiction book for a long time and and i don't think we're even going to talk a lot about what the book's about because we're going to save the thunder for when you release it but right but i would like to talk about how you're going because with all this knowledge and working with max all these years what tools are you using to write fiction
2: so um I think it's not fair to say that I've been working on it a long time because I I, I worked on it I worked on this novel mostly in November thousand ten and November twenty eleven because I did it for National Novel Writing Month and I've been I was trying to get it out at the end of last year and a bunch of personal stuff came up and my you know, my mom had heart surgery and I had to go down to Arizona and take care of her and my dad and there was a lot going on and so it just kind of got away from me so I'm hoping by the end of this year which is coming on fast so I got to move faster um to do maybe i'll use NanoRimo this year in the month of november to try and get this thing done is to is to get it done and out but um writing long form stuff also long form um macworld stuff too i use scrivener from literature and latte um which is a great great product i tried lots of novel writing apps i wrote the first hundred thousand words of my first novel that i wrote in bb edit and that was fine i love bb edit and i use that for all my short stuff but uh Scrivener kind of unfolded to me pretty pretty nicely, where I, I could just start writing and not know anything about all of its many features, which is a key thing. It's like, I don't really want to take two days of my productivity and spend it learning a new app. I, I really would rather kind of learn as I go. And that's what I did with Scrivener, As I started writing in Scrivener. And as I went, I realized, oh, my sections, my chapters that I'm writing are in themselves an outline in an outliner. And then I can switch to outliner view and I can drop in tags and I can drop in notes about what happens in the next one. And so I started with an outline in BB edit. Then I moved it into Scrivener uh, and added more information. And as I would write, I'd write chapters and I'd switch to the outliner and I'd push forward the plot, uh, which I had an outline for, but it wasn't very detailed. And the further out you got, the less detailed it was. And sort of as I would write chapters, I would also push forward the detail in the outline view in scrivener. I know some people use the card view there's a there's an index card view which has never appealed to me but um, it's there for people who like that but I use the I definitely use the outliner um, it's got a target feature that lets you say for Nanorimo for example where you're supposed to write, Fifty thousand words in thirty days. Yeah, can I just um, interrupt? Just yes. to
0: explain what Nano is right. a little bit.
2: So National Novel Writing Month. It's a uh, it's an event. I, I actually am on the board of the nonprofit that runs it. Um, it's a it's an event, an internet event where people say, "I'm going to commit to writing fifty thousand words," which is not even technically a novel. It's like novella length, but I'm going to write fifty thousand words in thirty days, and it's it's a little bit like I say it's like running a marathon or climbing a mountain it's something that you always tell yourself you're going to do as a personal achievement more than anything else and people never do it and that was certainly true for me i wrote a lot of fiction in high school and college and i published a fiction magazine on the internet for about 10 years or 15 years during and after college yeah um that's intertext and if you go to intertext.com magazine you can see embarrassing short stories written by people uh Including me, but written by lots of people whose stories I picked between 1990 and 2003 or something like that. Um, So I'd been fiction had been a part of my life for a long time. And then when I started my job, it became less and less, especially my writing. So I heard about NaNoWriMo and I thought, well, this is a great idea. Um, I'm going to do it. And it was sort of November third already, so I'd missed a couple of days. But and I, I had written an outline a year before for a novel that I wanted to write, and I didn't write that. Instead, I wrote. I just sat down and I wrote this chapter, uh, opening chapter of this book, and I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. And I outlined some more of it, and I and I did it, and I wrote fifty thousand words plus that month. Um, wrote another maybe thirty or forty thousand the following February, and then the following November I wrote another 60,000, All of that same book. Um, which is sitting in a drawer, not because it's bad, I think, but because it needs a rewrite, and I just haven't had the time to do it. Um, And then I wrote another one the following two Novembers, so that's 100,000 words, and that's also in the drawer because it needs a rewrite, and I haven't gotten to it. And then in 2010 and and 2011, I wrote this other thing, which is um, sort of a tech satire slash adventure story, and it's about a company that's more or less Google, and Google, it, Google is so increasingly wacky that um, it's got an expiration date because there's already jokes that I make in it that Google has invalidated by doing things crazier than the things I depicted. <laughs> yeah. So my feeling now is rather than rewrite it a bunch of times and try to find a publisher for it, I'm going to self-publish it because I want to get it out. I just want it to be out and done. Um, and I'd like to do that by, by uh, you know, like I said, I wanted it to be by the end of last year. Now I'm hoping it'll be by the end of this year. And um, and so NaNoWriMo really great opens up my creativity i went from always thinking i might write a novel someday to having written 3 kind of largish ones over the course of 6 or 7 years um, it's a it's a, you sign up on on org and you don't have to pay uh, the way the organization is funded through merchandise sales and donations and the people who keep the servers on and write the code and, and, uh, and they do a young writers program where they create uh, creative writing materials for teachers to use in schools. So there's a really nice charity element to it, but um, I think it's a great kind of organization and event for um, exploring your own creative potential, whether it's something you'd ever publish or just feeling like, like I read novels differently now having written them because I see some of the tricks that a novelist does because a novel is a, it's a machine it's a it's a a machine where you're kind of hacking into the reader's brain and trying to get them to feel a certain way and expect certain things and and uh, you do that a little bit and you realize a little bit more about it and as an avid reader i love that that my reading experience is deeper now that i can appreciate that yeah so yeah it's pretty yeah. cool well, and, you know, uh, So scri- my point was that Scrivener has a target mode where you can yeah. say 1,667 words a day, which I think is what the target is for NanoRimo. and it, there's a little bar. And when at the end of the day, you, you keep hitting that bar, and the, the bar finally hits green, and you've hit your total for the day. And it also has a total target of 50,000 that you can set to anything, but you set it to 50,000, and as you work through the month, and it doesn't have to be during NanoRimo, but that's a great use for it, you can see the little bar getting closer and closer, and when you hit it, turns green and it's time to celebrate so i love that there are lots of little features in scrivener like that uh it's got a name generator so if you have trouble coming up with a character name it will actually you can put in some parameters and it'll generate like a whole list of names that you can pick from it's pretty cool
0: non- yeah i use it to, i use it to write non-fiction and uh i'm doing a book right now without scrivener i'm doing it in pages for several reasons but i really really miss it yeah you know I, i'm looking forward to seeing what they do on the ipad I know they've yeah, got yeah. something in the works.
1: Now, when you're in the process of, of rewriting the book and, and going back in the editing process or, or later on the stages, are you still in Scrivener for that? Or are you moving on to, yeah. to other things? Nope.
2: Still in Scrivener. I try to stay in Scrivener. Scrivener actually has an EPUB build uh feature so theoretically i should be able to get an epub file out of it and everything i'm writing is essentially in plain text or it's in marked up like maybe markdown for italics and things like that but it's it's essentially plain text and uh keeping it in scrivener with all my notes is what i prefer i don't really need to track changes i keep old versions around uh in case i need to go back to them but um but I basically just do the rewrites and everything inside Scrivener. And that's true for my, you know, Mavericks, my full Mavericks review, my iPhone reviews, a lot of that stuff that's larger and has sections. I'll do those in Scrivener, same same deal. Uh, with those, once I have to give it to an editor, it has to come out because they probably don't have Scrivener and then it'll go in a text file or in our content management system in HTML and then we'll we'll keep it there after that.
0: Yeah, if you have an editor, I mean that's one of the digs against Scrivener, is it doesn't have track changes. And yeah. if you work with an editor, that can be an issue. But the editor I use for the stuff I do, I've come to trust her so much that uh I don't think I'd have a problem with just having her go through and make changes on Scrivener and giving it back to me and then I'd just read it and if there was something I disagreed with, I would make my own changes and yeah. move on.
2: And you know, I think what's that app what's the app that um that detects changes between you yeah, know, maybe they don't do it. I think you. I think you would actually do a diff if you really wanted to, yeah. <laughs> Scrivener files. But yeah. it's yeah. It's if I if I came to the point where I really needed to do that, I would do that. But um, that would be late in the game. I I, I don't want to. You know, I'd prefer to stay in Scrivener for as long as possible, just because it's uh, it's got all my stuff. It's got all the metadata. Um, it's a comfortable place to write you can move chapters around you can flag them so i can actually flag them as being rewritten or needing to be rewritten as i go and then i can look at that and say what where what's my progress and where do i need to to work on it and where is it is, is it doing okay um and i i like it it's not i mean i could write in bb edit and have and do for shorter stuff but i do like that um when I wrote my first hundred thousand words of, of that novel or eighty thousand words of that novel, I had BB Edit and Omni Outliner open. And when I went to Scrivener, I didn't need that. I had one tool, and my Omni Outliner, uh, you know, outline became my outline in Scrivener with the f- chapters attached to the outline, which was a lot easier because then I'm writing and I could look down and see what my summary and the outline was for the chapter, which was nice.
0: It's it's an impressive app. I you know there there's other apps out there that are kind of moving along that direction. Ulysses comes to mind, and sure. the new version is really pretty. Uh, I've been looking at that one as well, but Scrivener has just got so many great little tools, and it doesn't have to be fiddly. You, you know, it's just up to the user. You could right. just have a simple outline and, and type in it, but it does for me. It gives me that blinking cursor experience, and then I sit down and start going. Uh, the, the problem, like I said, I keep coming back to is I find that. For because, you know, I don't do it during the day every day. You know, I write these things when I catch an hour or two on a Saturday morning or in the evenings. I like to sometimes get away from my desk to do the writing and having the ability to do the stuff on the iPad is really useful. Speaking of which, you're doing a lot of writing on your iPad I've been reading.
2: Yeah, I wrote a piece on Macworld back, I want to say like back in December or maybe it was the beginning of this year, but it was about writing on the iPad. And um, I try to do that. I I write most of my I would say most of my Macworld work is on my MacBook Air um but I I've written a couple of articles for the magazine and um I wrote those on on uh, my iPad and I wrote I've written a couple Macworld articles on my iPad and I like I like the experience um and I, when I say on the iPad I mean on the touchscreen on on the iPad and and what I said in that article is that I, I it slows me down on a, on a regular keyboard. I can type about somewhere between 110 and 120 words per minute, which is insane. And, you know, the fact is, I think maybe there's something to uh, slowing down the writing process and making you and sweating over the words a little bit more than you might at 100 words a minute even. And I felt like my writing was different and better and better considered. When I was had to work a little more for it and it was a little slower. And I know that seems kind of crazy and it does sound crazy. All I can tell you is that that's been my experience. And the thing I liken it to is uh, when I was in grad school, I got mono and I had to go home for a couple of weeks and just like lay in bed. And I got really bored when I was awake. Anyway, I was really bored and I didn't have a computer there. My computer was a was I didn't have a power book yet. My computer was an SE and it was in my apartment in Berkeley and those things have built-in
1: handles what's the problem
2: well because i had mono and i I thought i was i thought i was about to die and i basically had the the doctor said how far away is your family i said about two hours i said just drive there now (laughs) and then (laughs) go to sleep (laughs) and there was no more food in the refrigerator because i hadn't shopped and it was really bad so i left it i abandoned my computer (sighs) um so i wrote uh part of a short story that i was writing because i said i was i was writing a lot back then um on on paper in with a pen which i'd never done and i i stopped writing things by hand as soon as i could my handwriting is terrible i hated writing by hand and what i found was um my writing was different and probably better when i was forced to sit there and slowly write out those words by hand because i had to i considered every word a lot more because I didn't want to scratch things out, and so I would game plan a little more. My sentences were a little tighter and clearer, and my word choice was, I think, a little bit better. Because I wanted to make sure that I had it right before I put it down. And on a keyboard, you just you just get it out there, and then if it's no good, you just delete it and then try something else. And Sometimes so the iPad the is the same makes way. a difference, doesn't? Yeah, it? I think I think it 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 actually is different, uh, a different process going on in my brain. So I've done that. I actually wrote on an airplane coming back a piece that I'm working on for the magazine again. Um, that for Glenn Fleischman's the magazine, not like the magazine that I work for, but this you know Glenn's the magazine, magazine. the 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 app magazine, uh, the Marco Arment former Glenn Fleischman current magazine. I wrote that on an iPad Mini on on the tray table on my on my plane ride back from Boston, and it was actually uh, it was a pretty good experience even on the iPad Mini keyboard. It slowed me down. I uh. I got to think about uh, what I was writing. I think that it changes the quality of my work in a way that for, for a piece like that where I, I want to take my time because I might write – I've written two of those. I might write two pieces like that a year that I want it to be different, and I want to be more careful with it. And, and I also got to use Editorial, which is this kind of cool new iPad writing app, and I got oh, to yeah. play with that a little bit. What do you um, think of it?
1: I like oh, i uh, I'm afraid. David, did you start going off on editorial? No, no, we'll we're, we're actually the next, our next yeah. show. we will the hour there.
2: I'll just say, I like it. I like it. And I like some of the stuff in it. And I could see using it, um, to do my job. Uh, yeah, I, I could see that I could see taking that and maybe a Bluetooth keyboard and using it to do my job, which, you know, I got a lot of, I got a lot of BB edit memory for, for and for dashing things out. And I've got a lot of shortcuts and scripts and BB edit. And I look at something like editorial and I think, wow, that, um, you know, if you said if you said you have to do your job on an iPad with a Bluetooth keyboard that I would absolutely be able to do it with that app. So I, I'm intrigued by it. I've only used it to write half of this article, um, but, um, you know, I, I liked it. And then I liked the iPad keyboard kind of experience, too.
0: It's it's one of the first writing apps on the iPad where I said I caught myself thinking, man, I wish I had this on my Mac.
2: Yeah, you know, well, I mean, Federico Vitici said that uh, it's basically the 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 he thinks the most fully functional uh text editor available on any apple platform which is a bold statement i he may not be wrong (laughs) uh, but it's a bold statement and i think it's cool that that it's at least arguable now that you could uh, use this app to do stuff like that
0: that's cool so so as a note to the listeners our next show is going to be with federico and we're going to get deep into editorial and also talk about other ios text editors
2: we're just promoting forward like you're teasing it like the pros do that's right
0: yeah, if I just didn't say um a lot and have <laughs> awkward gaps, we'd be right there. So listeners, go get editorial before the next show comes out. You may want to follow along with that one. Yeah. Well,
1: I definitely want to talk more about Jason's iPad workflow. But maybe before we do, David, we, take, we should take another quick break.
0: Yeah, and our, our sponsor today is 1Password. And we've been talking about them for years because they're just awesome. 1Password creates and stores strong and unique passwords. Uh, You know, one of the problems we've always had with computers is we get all these online accounts and each one of them wants a password. And if we use the same password on every one, all you have to do is get hacked at one site and you're hacked at every site. And that's not a good thing. So 1Password solves that problem. It's an application that creates these great passwords for you. It fills them in for you and it remembers them for you. All you have to remember is your one password that unlocks the app. And it's not just on your Mac. It's also on iOS with your iPad and your iPhone. It's on the Mac. It's on the PC. It's on Android. No matter where you're at, one password solves the problem for you. In the day job, I was at a meeting and had to get a sensitive bit of information. And I opened up my iPad and went into one password and, um, and I got it because I had it stored in a secure note. And somebody in the room said, oh, I can't believe you'd put that on your iPad. And that's because they don't get it. When you've got one password, you've got a second wall of defense behind uh behind which you can store secure data and this is really useful for anybody i mean i've got my kids social security information in there i've got doctor's information all the kinds of things that i really want to have with me all the time but at the same time i don't want anybody that can unlock my iphone or ipad to have access to and that's what one password does for you Uh, they keep adding features to this like go and fill they've got um you know you, you can you can go to a website and have it fill in for you automatically. Now they've tied themselves on the Mac to services like Alfred and LaunchBar. So you can have your 1Password login show up right there, and then it'll go open the website for you, fill it in, and get you started. There's just so many things you can do with this application. Uh, one of the things I really like with the new version on iOS is the built-in browser. It's almost replaced Safari for me because I've got so many secure sites I want to go to, and it solves that problem for me. So we always get to show off on our show about 1Password, Katie and I, because we always get, you know, we're on the inside track. We get to see what's coming. Well, this is the chance for Mac Power Users listeners to get in on that too. If you go to agilebits.com, you can now sign up for the beta for 1Password 4 for the Mac. They're starting to put that into a public beta. So if you're a 1Password geek, this is your chance to get in on the inside and also share some feedback about what you like or don't like about it. They're, They're really trying to move the ball forward with this new application. So go check that out as well. You can get it from the Mac App Store for $49.99 or you can get a Mac and Windows bundle if you swing that way for $69.99. Uh, you can also go in the Mac App Store, I'm sorry, the iOS App Store and get the versions for your iPad and for your iPhone. It's a great application and probably the most recommended application I give. Anybody I know that uses the internet, I try to get them on this application because it solves just so many problems and and it saves me the whole trouble of dealing with family members calling and saying that their internet is hacked or my iTunes is hacked. Right. <laughs> so go check out one password and, and thanks agile for supporting the podcast.
1: Yeah. Now, Jason, one of the trends that I noticed on the last episode that we did with you is your technology tends to, to get smaller over time. And I've noticed on this episode <laughs> that you keep talking about this iPad mini that you're carrying around and that's a change yep. since the last show that we had you on because I don't think there was an iPad mini at the last show. Right. And and so I think last time we had you on you you would move to an 11-inch MacBook Air and yep. you were carrying that around and now it sounds like you're doing quite a bit on an iPad mini. So I guess my first question is has the iPad mini become your primary iPad? And then my second question is has it replaced your MacBook Air?
2: Uh, It is my primary iPad. I bought the iPad mini um, because I wanted to use it. And I have the luxury because I work for MacWorld of doing things like saying, I'm going to buy one because we need some around to cover them. And I assumed when I bought it, so several of us bought them because we needed some around on launch day and, and we might get one from Apple as a review unit, but we need more. So I bought it and I figured I would use it for a little bit and then I would hand it in to the pile and I'd file an expense report and get my money back uh that never happened (laughs) and my big ipad uh reference ipad went in a drawer where it remains as a reference for i bring it out every now and then i actually am running ios 7 on it right now don't tell anybody um on the on the big one but uh the little one is the one i take around with me everywhere uh the big one generally stays uh in the drawer for reference or for testing um because again i have a funny job where you can do that um, and I do I do read, read comics on it from time to time because it's got that beautiful Retina screen that's huge, and the iPad Mini has a little screen that is not Retina, but it's the one that I prefer to use because it's so much lighter and smaller, and I like the light, small mobile devices. It's true. I have the eleven inch Air. It hasn't replaced my my eleven inch Air. I'm not writing everything on it. I do you know for work stuff. I feel like t- and, and emails especially. Time is of the essence. I'm not going to handcraft it. Might, that thing I talked about about g- gently handcrafting uh, short stories and novels and, and and articles for Glenn Fleischman's magazine. Um, I'm not going to do that with email. Uh, email is of a quality of typing at 120 words a minute on my MacBook Air. That's uh, you know I, I I would prefer to not spend time handcrafting those emails. I want to just shoot them out there and be done. So <laughs> what, the, what about
0: seri dictation? Are you have you given no, up on that or?
2: uh yeah i i will give it a try again in mavericks when it's functional because you know it, it that that would be like handwriting i think where you'd carefully choose your words and it I, I that would be kind of weird but i i've never really been a dictation person i don't have any uh, when you type 120 words a minute dictation is a hard sell and yeah, i don't have any true. rsi problems so yeah. i i pretty much uh don't don't need to worry about it i i use siri for occasional things on the ipad but but uh, rarely. And then when I'm testing iOS seven, that stuff not been solid. So it's been a little while since I've used it on the devices that are on iOS seven, cause it's beta and it doesn't all work right yet. So, uh, but yeah, I, I do use the mini primarily. And then the, the MacBook air is my, uh, is my system. I don't have a work system or a home system or anything like that. The 11 inch air is where I do all my work.
1: Now sticking with the iPad for a minute, are you using the iPad mini more, you would say, than you used your your Retina iPad back when the Retina iPad was your only iPad? I mean, has the iPad mini just simply no. replaced the iPad for your use, or do you find that you're actually using it more because it's so much smaller? Uh.
2: I think it's a straight replacement. I th- I don't think I'm using it more, really. Uh, I think it's a pretty much a straight replacement. I think I, I, I don't know, I might pick it up a little bit more, carry it around a little bit more because it's lighter, but I think it's more that I did that with the iPad and I carried it around and it always felt a little slippery and it always felt a little bit like it needed to be held with two hands and that I needed to grip it very carefully or I was going to drop it. And the iPad mini, I feel none of that. It's like, you know, it's like it's not even there. I can put it under my arm when I bring the tea back in the morning to the bedroom for for my wife and me I put it I just tuck it I, I'm reading on the iPad mini while I'm making the tea and then I just tuck it under my arm and walk back and it's just not I would never do that with the iPad because it's just a little heavier and a little like I said almost like a little slippery or like I'm worried that it's gonna it's gonna drop so I I, I don't think I use it necessarily more but I it's definitely to my shock completely replaced um or almost completely replaced the big iPad um, my wife has a full-size iPad And she has no desire to get a mini. She really likes the the bigger screen and all of that. And I could see that, but uh, I don't know. I didn't, I haven't given it up. I I really expected to just give it away and go back to the other one. And it never happened. It's, it just, I, 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 you're right. I, you found me out. I have this um, enjoyment of these super light mobile products. Like the lighter, the lighter, the better.
0: You've got the nine inch MacBook Air, right? The super beta
2: uh that would be that would be pretty awesome actually you can't get it any you can't get it any smaller because then the keyboard gets smaller and uh, i've tried a bunch of those ipad keyboards and um and i tried netbook keyboards back when there were netbooks and uh you can't mess with the keyboard as somebody who types that fast any deviation from standard keyboard and i'm incapable of typing on it competently and it makes me very angry so it's. I gotta have a full size keyboard if I'm gonna if I'm gonna type on a physical keyboard. So eleven inch, and I think Apple thinks that too. So I think eleven inches is as small as it's gonna get.
0: Now do you, are you, do up you have a Bluetooth keyboard back? for your
1: iPad.
2: I do. I have the Apple Bluetooth keyboard. It's uh, currently been kind of stolen by my son to play Minecraft. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, we need an extra keyboard and, and and but I I do. And I anticipated that I would take the iPad and the keyboard and do some work and not have to bring the laptop with me. That hasn't happened for two reasons. One is I have the eleven inch MacBook Air, which is exactly. not really any bigger than the full-size iPad and the keyboard. It might As actually
0: be heavier. To it might actually this. be.
2: And honestly, the other the other point, which is a workflow that we could talk about at some point if you'd like, is I edit, I I host and edit a weekly podcast. And you can't edit podcasts on an iPad. You can't. You, it's not even remotely possible, at least the kind of, a, I mean, there's GarageBand on the iPad and all. But what I do with the podcast is not something that the iPad can do. And so just when I got to the point where I thought I don't need to travel with a laptop anymore, I started doing a podcast where I need to have the laptop with me. Yeah. So, well, and I'm not and we entirely going to talk about that.
1: Yeah, I'm not entirely sure how you edit a podcast on an 11-inch Air, and that was kind of the next question that I was leading to, oh, and I Oh, you I, can. I definitely want to get back to the how do you edit the podcast thing cuz that's something I'm we're interested in, but do you do you hook up that eleven inch air to an external display a lot of the time, or
0: actually, Katie? Before we okay. go there, could I interrupt a little okay. bit? I, I just want to kind of finish up the iPad loop. Um, okay, all now right. do you miss the Retina screen? Do you do you care? Yeah. Right? There's some people that yeah, are up in all, arms, and
2: I, I care. I, well, I don't know. I I I do notice it that it's not there, and whenever I look at a Retina screen, I um I notice that it's nicer. But that said, I'm also the person who's using an 11 inch Air rather than a 13 inch Retina MacBook Pro, and I I have a 13 inch MacBook Pro in the office that I have used occasionally. That's actually my Mac- Mavericks reference system, um, and it looks great. But I I would always opt for the lighter system over the heavier system with Retina, um, A heavier bigger system. Uh, the same goes for this. The thing I you know the thing that's not nearly as nice is reading comics. Reading comics on the full-size retina ipad is a fantastic thing and reading it on the mini is doable but it's not great and that that's something i miss and if the mini goes retina it's still going to be a problem because it's still a small screen and yeah. comics the comics really want to be bigger even if it was retina the comics would want to be bigger so for that if i've got that reference ipad around i will often read comics on that instead or i'll steal my wife's ipad briefly and read comics on her cuz she's got on her ipad cuz she's got an ipad 3 retina yeah. so i can do that
0: if i on that point just for a second my wife says the other day i'm looking at the bills why do we have so much money in iTunes lately and I'm thinking it's comics and there's three, <laughs> three people at fault. Sorry. Marilyn man, Rob Corddry, Jason Snell. Yep. Sorry. Every, every time I meet you, I go buy a bunch more, but the, uh, the uh, I, But that is a good example because comics is this big format. Another one is annotation of PDFs, which is something that, you know, business people and stuff right, that Katie right. and I do all the time. It's just it's so much easier on the yeah. bigger iPad. Yeah. Uh, I do my sheet music for when I play the piano. Um, I couldn't read it on a mini. Um, oh, exactly. Maybe if I had better glasses or something, I would be able to squint at it. But, you know, so there's certain things that they're just better for. But for a lot of the stuff that we associate with iPads. And I'm not just talking about an email and calendar. I'm talking about things like making mind maps and making simple outlines and, you know, things that we do for productivity bases. They make a ton of sense on the iPad mini. But I, I, like you, am very eager to see if Apple gets a retina one out. I mean, who knows? Maybe this year, maybe next year. But when they do, I'll, I'll definitely upgrade. And at that point, it may become kind of my main iPad, my main iPad as well
2: for a device that small and light to be that capable is that science fictional in a way that even the regular iPad doesn't quite, you know, cause the regular iPad at least has some heft to it. This thing is like practically not there. And when I, when I carry it, sometimes I take the cover off and I'm just kind of, and I'm, I'm, I'm reading something on it. I have, I often will have moments of like, oh, this is a sci-fi moment right here. Yeah. This is it. This is totally not uh, what you know i expected from the future or maybe it's totally exactly what i expected from the future but it's like you know that's, there's a lot of power even in the ipad mini which is essentially the guts of an ipad 2 um that's amazing it's and, better and, yeah
0: it's better than the thing those guys had in 2001
2: yeah yeah exactly you know? <laughs>
0: it's better than well, it's the stuff good, captain picard carried around it's, it's smaller yeah. and lighter you that's know? right well
2: yeah there's a great scene in star trek the next generation where he's got a stack of them on his desk is there like one book per pad <laughs> come on guys <laughs> load all that on one
0: the um uh, okay so we're done with ipad now when you had said that your main and only computer is the 11 inch MacBook air that got my antenna up because that's, that's impressive because I suspect you own a lot of movies and you have a lot of media and books and various things. How do you manage all that with just one iPad? I'm sorry, with one, um, MacBook air.
2: We have a Mac mini with a couple of two terabyte hard drives that lives behind the flat screen TV in the, in the living room. And that's where all the media live and an iTunes match
0: that's what and Katie did too kind of right yeah
2: yeah and i used to have music on my my uh laptop and i stopped doing that and used sort of used my iphone or my ipad and now um i use iTunes match so it's all there you know virtually
0: that's one of the great things about iTunes match is you don't have to have all your music on your mac to make adjustments to your playlists and rate music and do all these things and then just download right. it to your device
2: yeah it's great and now then at, you, at work good. i've got a um oh at, at work i've got a uh thunderbolt display so i do have a large display at work that i hook up into some of the time not all the time sometimes i just sit on i've got a little like a love seat in my office and sometimes i'll just sit there with a the laptop but um sometimes i'll stand uh usually it's a adjustable desk but usually i'm standing and i'll attach to the thunderbolt display and i i've got a i've got a logitech bluetooth keyboard and i've got a uh uh magic mouse mighty mouse whatever it is i've got a wireless trackpad <laughs> it's what i've got and i'll use that um with when i uh when i hook up the the macbook air to the thunderbolt display sometimes i'll run a lid closed and just put it stick it in that little tin south uh little rack thing and mm-hmm. uh and at that point it's basically a i mean it's it's an i7 uh desktop at that point and it's pretty fast <laughs> and, and and it drives that uh, thunderbolt uh, display incredibly well
1: Wow. And then you just it's, pack it up and put it in your, in your backpack and boom.
2: I pull out the Thunderbolt plug and I pull off the MagSafe and I stick it in my backpack. Yep. Yeah.
1: D- David's trying to talk himself into doing that. He's
0: Not trying. really. I just, it's a long story. I, I'm dealing with iMac problems. And every time you've got a computer that's giving you trouble, you, you just dream. start thinking about dumping it. <laughs> yep, and, you and, dream of getting rid of it.
1: And he keeps talking about an 11 inch but i don't know that david could you know it's not it going to
0: happen in fact yeah. i i had an 11 inch yeah, a friend it. a friend of mine had one and and offered it to me very cheap
2: i have your case i believe yeah you do <laughs> from that I, I, misbegotten I, month that you spent yeah, with Yeah, she, she
0: gave it to me for a couple of weeks and i was so convinced i was going to buy it i ordered a case for it and um, then i said you know what i don't need another computer to manage i gave it back to her and then i gave jason my case because i didn't have a use for it are you yeah. using that
2: by the way <laughs> uh not very often occasionally Uh-oh. it's 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 uh <laughs> it's in it's in uh in a drawer ready to go but uh, most of the oh, time I, I have a padded uh Brandhaven backpack that I use most of the time. So it just goes in there.
0: I want to talk about your podcast. Uh, but before we do that, let's talk about uh, our sponsor, Squarespace.
1: Yeah, Squarespace is everything you need to create an awesome website, regardless of whether you are a coding pro or whether you are a complete novice. You can go from start to finish, all included, get your domain. Don't need to get anything from anybody else. Everything is built right into the Squarespace platform. That's what David uses for Max Sparky. That's what I use for Katie And I just love the fact that I don't have to deal with all the extra stuff, there is nothing else to manage. Everything is in Squarespace. I don't have to worry, is my data backed up? I don't have to worry, oh, does this SQL server crash and do I have to recover from this backup file that went to this or that? Or I don't have to worry about anything. And if you go to the new squarespace.com, they've done a gorgeous job of, of redesigning. You can take a look at some of their awesome templates. And that's just a starting point. You pick a template you like, you pick one that works well for your business, whether it's a blog, whether it's a portfolio, uh, whether it's a, a business that you're showing off. And then you can start customizing. If you want a header, if you want a sidebar on the right, if you want a sidebar on the left, if you want to change the colors, if you want to change the fonts, beautiful fonts, by the way, with Squarespace, you can change all of those with a click of a button and a move of a lever right inside Squarespace. They make everything so easy no coding. But if you want to get geeky, if you want to get under the hood, they've got a whole developer's platform. You can customize your CSS. You can add things into Squarespace. So you can get as geeky as you want with Squarespace, or you can just keep it very simple like I do and have nothing to manage. Um, But we've had so many listeners to MacPower users write in and tell us about how they've been using Squarespace. For example, we got an email from listener Nicole who told us that she used Squarespace to create ProcessCentral.co. She says this site was built by her as a total novice, and it has made marketing their product a breeze. So we've got listeners that are out there using Squarespace to build their their websites from the ground up. So check out Squarespace. Their plan started only $8 a month. But if you use our very special coupon code, which David is...
0: Katie is angry.
1: Katie is angry, you can get an extra discount on top of that. Um, But go try it out. No credit card needed. You can try before you buy. And thanks to Squarespace for sponsoring the podcast.
0: Uh, Jason. um, Yes. Present. I have to admit that um, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. That's one of my deep, dark secrets. Most but podcasters I, don't. I am so hooked on the incomparable podcast. And if you're listening, you've never heard of it before. Go subscribe right now. It's a. It's I would call it a geek culture podcast. Yeah. I don't know. Is that a good term?
2: I think that's a pretty good term. I mean, we, and, and with a focus on, uh, and, and for, thanks for saying those nice things, by the way, um, with a focus on, on the works. Uh, we, we, you know, we occasionally will talk about kind of broader cultural topics, but mostly we're talking about like a book or a movie or a TV show or a comic and what we thought of it and what we liked and what we didn't like and and uh, you know it's and it's fun and funny and and uh, entertaining I think but it's it's um, you know it's it's that kind of thing it's it's uh, talking about a work and what we thought of it and and most episodes are a single work or a bunch of kind of related things and and they're standalone so people can go dip into the archive and find things that they want to hear us talking about and they're they're meant to be kind of timeless so that if you listen to one of the ones we did two or three years ago it should be just as good today as it was back then Some of the best
0: books I've read the last few years have been at the show's recommendation and and my workflow for uh, as an incomparable loyal listener is when I see something that looks remotely interesting I'll listen to the first 5 minutes of the show and if you hook me, I stop listening, and then I'll go oh, read the great. book. And that's good. And watch in a lot the of the episodes,
2: we have what we call the spoiler horn, which is yes. a, a a stock Apple sound, actually sound effect that comes with I think GarageBand, um, called Fairy Foghorn, and it's about five seconds of wrong. Oh, and we fire that off before we talk talk about the big, deep, dark spoilers of something. So it's possible for you to listen to the beginning, get a get a taste, and then say, okay, I'm going to listen to this now. This sounds good. I'm gonna you know I'm gonna I'm gonna pause now and go watch that movie or read that book
0: yeah that joe walton book you recommended last year was yeah. i think the best book i read all
2: year among was, others that was the yeah. best book i read last year too so yeah that was that was a great book
0: yeah did you ever read that um that timorair book i recommended or You get to.
2: it's on my kindle i bought okay. it i bought it when i had lunch with you and it's on it's sitting on my kindle i well, i um I'll, i'm gonna get to it but i've got uh, some books that i have to actually read for future we did a. we didn't um contest on the incomparable where i basically said go leave an itunes review and by the by the end of the month and we'll randomly pick one of the reviews and it doesn't have to be good or bad just whatever and we'll randomly pick one and you can pick a topic for an episode so i'm reading these books that this guy picked (laughs) right now it's taken up a lot of my they're pretty good actually but it's taken up a lot of my time but it's in my it's on my kindle which means essentially it's in my queue uh for reading because i read most of my books on uh on my kindle
0: so you read them on the Kindle hardware or the Kindle uh, app on your iPad? Uh, the
2: Kindle Paperwhite, actually, is what I use. Um, I, I, I like it. I like the e-ink. I like that you can read it in light or dark and there's no reflection. And it's a little bit of a luxury. I could probably just get by reading it on the iPad mini. But I do, I do like the, the Paperwhite. And I also like I read the newspaper on it. And up until iOS 7, where this, I think, will change if Amazon uh, supports it, um, you have to launch the Kindle app in order to download stuff. And uh, on the Kindle, it pushes overnight. So when I I don't have I can leave the house with the Kindle or just turn on the Kindle in the morning and the newspaper is there. And on the iPad, you have to launch the Kindle app and download the newspaper. Uh, iOS seven apparently is going to change that around where apps are going to be able to sort of wake up and and check for content. But uh, right now, only newsstand apps can do that, and Kindle's not a newsstand app.
0: Well, one of the things I like about the show is that it's not just a, a loving fan club for every work. A lot of times you oh, have yeah. <laughs> people with different opinions and and different angles. And, you know, once in a while you have John Syracuse on. And I just love to listen to the, w- the way the guy thinks.
2: Oh, yeah. And yeah. Um,
0: so it's just a, just an outstanding show. But we,
2: nor, nor do we tear things apart all the time. I mean, it is this. I would say the most common thing we do is look at things critically but with enthusiasm, which I think, I mean, that's sort of a John Syracuse thing, too, is, is yeah. you can have enthusiasm for something. Nothing is so perfect that it can't be criticized. Like we did, we we all liked Star Trek Into Darkness, which a lot of geeks didn't like, but we all liked it, it turned out. And um, that didn't stop us from talking about all the kind of crazy things that were in it for an hour. But we, but we all liked it. Um, and we mostly didn't like Man of Steel, and that was maybe a little bit uglier. But, you know, that happens sometimes. Mostly... I think though we're enthusiastic. We're trying we don't plan hit pieces. We try to talk about things that we're interested in or that we like or that we think are are interesting enough to to talk about, but we do definitely approach it critically as well. We don't just say, "Oh, it was great. I loved it. What else do we have to talk about?"
0: Yeah. I'm trying to get Katie to like Star Trek. She's she's not I with me. That, I can't never
2: seen it before
1: with. in my life. No.
2: That's fine. It's not for everybody. You know, some people like vanilla and some people like chocolate. That's that's fine. But, but yeah, you're right. I think, you know,
0: the the nice thing about the show is... It Chocolate's does, better, but that's okay. <laughs> no, Jason, I, I am one of the
1: biggest Trekkies in the world, and David's a huge Star Wars guy, so we argue about that a little bit.
2: Oh, that's so. for shame, David. Yeah. Shame on you. No, yeah. it's fine. Oh, we we actually, being comparable, one of the nice things about it is we've got Star Trek fans and Star Wars fans on the podcast. Like, Scott McNulty and I are huge Star Trek fans, and and Dan Morin and John Syracuse are huge Star Wars fans, and... and uh and it's it's a it's a good dynamic, and, and uh, those are some of our best episodes. Are when we talk about the Star Wars movies, actually. So,
0: you guys should watch the um fanboys someday.
2: Yeah, you, you I, think, I, right? th- I think I think you can
1: like both, but I think you can only really love one. Because otherwise, you're I
2: think cheating. that's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. I when think I was Katie's I, angry, I'm not angry. When I was a kid, Katie's, I, Katie's not angry.
1: Katie's not angry. angry. <gasps> angry. No,
2: that doesn't work. You don't get a website if you say <laughs> you that. Don't, you, don't you don't get, get a discount if you
1: say that. Yeah.
2: I was a Star Trek fan as a kid and then Star Wars came out because I was born in 1970. So I was six when Star Wars came out and I remember when it came out and I was already a Star Trek fan. So I was actually kind of put out by the fact that people were so ex- enthusiastic about the space thing that wasn't Star Trek. What what was wrong with them? And I, you know, I love Star Wars. I have all the movies on DVD. I loved it. I've shown it to my kids and all that, but, but it's not, this, you know, you're, you're, you never forget your first love. No, and my first that's... love was Captain, Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock and the Starship Enterprise. And that's just how it is. That same thing like me. Well, I'm, I'm actually a little older than you, but for
0: some reason, I was eight when I saw Star Wars, and I'm like yeah. that little baby bird that bonds to the guy who yeah, flies the kite. You know? That's
2: exactly it. This is rapidly turning into an episode of The Incomparable. So if, like, if you like stuff like this, go listen to The Incomparable.
1: I do want to keep talking a little bit about your podcast, and specifically your podcast sure. editing workflow. Yes, workflows. You, Amazing. You, you edit your podcast, you know, and we, we can't all have these dedicated Skype machines and and you know super fiber optic lines coming into our house and i know one of the problems that you can sympathize with like the night that we're having tonight with Skype is when you get people on a Skype connection and and things happen they can sign they can sound a little skypey has that yes. been added to the dictionary yet that word skypey yeah.
2: all the podcasters know it yeah skype Skypiness is bad and, you know I, I, Dan Benjamin, because he's doing a billion different podcasts, has this whole Skype system, right? And everything they do in Skype. And if you're doing lots of shows, uh, you sort of have to do it that way. But I always said um, that our podcast, and yours may be like this too, is an artisanal handcrafted podcast. And uh, we don't do it that way. So everybody who's on our podcast records their own end and sends it in. And uh, we use Skype as a backup. So if you have a Skype failure like we had earlier tonight, you can always use the Skype backup sound. But um, ideally, we're getting the native sound that was recorded on their system. And then, and then everybody's got their own track so that you can put that together in an editor, a multi-track editor, and uh, line them all up. And uh, that way, if somebody is talking over somebody else, you can you can trim and, 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 and clip as you need to and make it sound like everybody had this incredible intuition about when somebody else is going to talk and they just wouldn't talk then, which isn't what really happens.
1: Yeah. Well, we don't go yeah. that far sometimes, but it is incredibly <laughs> yeah. well, labor intensive because
2: you have like three people, though. I sometimes have like six people on. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. a lot of crosstalk. It's it's bad.
1: But that that requires you not only to have, I mean, it it adds to your editing time because it not only requires yes. you to have to have people sending you your Dropbox files. Did you put the file in the Dropbox? Did you remember to put the file in the Dropbox? Your file didn't upload to me. You know, yeah. all, all of those issues that go on. Yep. Um. And so then you've got to grab all these audio files and oh well, you started recording two minutes earlier and then you started yep. recording later and then so you've got to find a, a unique start point for all these files and then when you when you finally find that start point and you start. Listening to these files, and you, oh, so and so coughed here. We're going to cut that out. There's crosstalk here. We're going to cut this out. And then yep. all of a sudden, there's this this magical thing called Skype drift. No, it's not Skype drift. I don't think it's called, but it's just drift, audio drift. It's drift, yeah, yep. Where all of a sudden these, be, even though you you were in sync at one point, your your audio voices, your your voices and your audio tracks can now be off by a quarter of a second, and then a half yes. second, and then yes. A second and a half, and it at some point becomes noticeable and you've got to and maybe your track is off by a second and a half, but someone else's track is only off by a quarter of a second and yep. you've got to go in and tweak that so it this sounds like somebody
2: who knows what they're talking I'm, I'm about. I'm sorry you am I, elu- am
1: I describing your work
2: <laughs> <laughs> you have elucidated the problems perfectly
1: okay so I know all the problems tell me how you fix it
2: um well, it used to be, and I, it, it, the longer your session is, the worse it gets. So, like, we would do these Star Wars things where we would be recording for three hours, and we'd split it into two episodes, and by the end, there was a lot of drift sometimes. So, you would end up kind of going every half hour or so, keeping, I would keep the Skype track in the recording, and because the Skype and my voice were locked in sync, and that was locked to real time. It was all the other independent recordings that were drifting out of sync, So, because um, it depends on what computer you're on, and the clocks are slightly different. Um, so I would go every half an hour and basically split the clips and reline them up (laughs) and then do it again, another half an hour and get them sort of like, there was enough drift in a half an hour. It wasn't that big a deal, but lately I've been using something that will eventually be a product, but not, not yet. Um, but, uh, Marco Arment does the editing for accidental tech podcast and he is a developer and a smart guy. And, uh, he decided to write a program to fix this so he's he wrote this thing called sidetrack which is a command line app that basically you get pointed at the skype track and the solo track and an output file and it finds where it it, it finds where they're in sync and then it checks for drift it patches in silence uh in places where there's already silence in order to compensate for the drift or remove silence as necessary, but it's generally patching in silence and then outputs the file. And it doesn't work hundred percent of the time. I think there's some, some tweaks you could probably do to make it a little more effective, but I use it now and you know, it, it works on five out of six, I'd say audio tracks that I do. And it's, it's a help. It saves some time because I used to have to line things up. You know, I everybody says recording and then we line all that up and, and, and then you have to, compensate for drift and it's a pain it's a real pain um i use logic now um instead of garageband and that's allowed me to go a lot faster because like i said i i'm looking for crosstalk and uh logic has this command called strip silence where you basically take a track that's an hour long and you click on it and you run this command and it it splits it into only the parts where somebody is making noise and all the silent parts just vanish and so instead of one long track you've got a whole bunch of little tiny blobs of speech <laughs> And if you're doing a panel show where you've got four or five tracks of different people talking and you run this command on all the tracks, you don't even need to listen to everything. When so, when one person's talking, you don't even need to listen. All you have to do is scroll through and look for the collisions and you can actually see when three people are talking at once, listen to that, fix that and move on. Saved so much time in my editing workflow because I do edit the podcast almost every single week. Occasionally somebody else will do it, but I'd say, you know, 98% of the time it's me. And that's taken it from being a multi hour process to being, you know, an hour or two.
1: So now Do, you don't you don't have to listen to the whole show all the way through?
2: I don't. I, wow. I it's an admission that I know it's scary for some people. It's like I was already there. I listened to it. If somebody swears or says something that's really a, a tangent, I'll remember and I'll take it out. But when somebody's just talking for three or four minutes about something, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll maybe tap through it where I'm hearing every 20 seconds of it until I get to the next collision. But I don't sit there and listen to everything. I, I came to terms a long time ago with not editing every um and uh out of a podcast. People talk like that, and I could edit the podcast forever, and it would never be perfect. But crosstalk, with my big panels, crosstalk is something that's a problem. I hate the when we get a review that says... And when we got some of these at the beginning, it, it, they're all talking over each other. Like, well, that is not is me not doing my job that we ideally cross talk shouldn't be a problem. And I can fix that pretty fast. But I don't when John Syracuse is just talking for four minutes, unless I remember, oh, yeah, he went on this total tangent that I need to take out or he said a terrible word, which he never does. Um I just let it go. I moved to the next collision because that's really what I'm looking for at that point. If I hadn't heard it before, I would listen to the whole thing. But I was there. So I remember what was in there.
0: Well, when Katie and I first started, because, you know, people have to understand you're sitting in front of a mic and the other person might be in another country and yeah. you, you just don't know. You don't have hand signals or eye contact or anything, even though Katie waves her hand at me and I can sense it across yeah, the country sure. but it's the a jedi mind trick yeah but the, we hate this vulcan thing See? <laughs> it there, is, it i'm is. translating for you thank guys you, thank you we had these huge gaps and it was terrible yeah, you know yeah. and, and because we'd be we wouldn't want to step on each other and we got better at it but we still step on each other yeah it's... i
2: do that i close up uh, one of the funny things about podcasting is that you, you it's okay to have the awkward silence because it's not a live broadcast even if you're streaming live on five by five or something it's not a live broadcast really and if there's an awkward silence that's fine i close those up Awkward silences are fine. Over-talking to a certain point is fine. Uh, Some of that stuff can get fixed up, but it can be awkward and nobody can see each other. I'm sure if we could all see each other, there'd be a little bit more of like, oh, you're going to go next. I'd love it if Skype had a feature where somebody could like raise their hand, (laughs) but that's just not... So that just comes out in the editing Um, and, and you get a better sounding file because everybody sent their own tracks in. And that little MacBook Air with that i have i can use logic pro and i can have seven different people on seven different audio tracks and it does not hiccup because the ssd is fast and the processor is fast
0: now do you have the new macbook air
2: i i do now i do i now have the new one but i have been up until a few months ago i was using the two-year-old model
0: um what do you think what do you think of the new logic pro
2: Uh, I wrote a piece about that on Macworld. I'm not a musician. I'm just a podcaster. So I think I'm not sure if I would pay the price for it from nine to 10. Um, What they've really added is a lot of music features and they've made the interface much more understandable and discoverable. Um, They used to, I mean, they used to, like, not have menus in proper places. Like, the menu bar was almost empty, and then there were weird menus all over the, like, in windows and stuff. In the the wood. (laughs) Yeah, legacy of back when it was not, like, when it was a, what was it, eMagic was the company that I think had Logic before, and Apple bought it. And, And they cleaned a lot of that stuff up. So if somebody is thinking of going from GarageBand to Logic, I think... As a podcaster, I think that might be a good move and that Logic Pro 10 is going to be a much easier step up from GarageBand than Logic 9 was for me. But if you're a Logic 9 user and you're a podcaster, I'm not sure it's worth the money because it's a different interface and it's a little bit easier to use. But it doesn't, you know, it's not really adding a lot of features that podcast people, that spoken word people use.
0: Uh, You know, I'd like to take a minute, talk about our last sponsor. And I just want to ask Jason... Uh, about a little navel gazing for a minute and then we will wrap this show up and and our last sponsor today is Fujitsu and we talked in our last ad spot about Fujitsu about the new update to the iX500 scanner and this is wireless scanning to your mac and i have received so much email from listeners since we did that spot saying hey you know i was waiting for a good reason to upgrade to the new one and this is it And it sounds like almost everybody that listens to the Mac power users has now got their Fujitsu scanner in their kitchen because it just makes so much sense. You get your email. I mean, you get your your paper mail in. You stand at your scanner. You push a button. You scan it in right there. And then you can throw it in the trash or the scan or the shredder right from your uh, your kitchen and be done with it. And the stuff scans automatically to your Mac. It's just such a great scanner.
2: I have a Fujitsu scanner in my kitchen.
0: Oh, do you? I have do. you got the Have you got the new IX500?
2: No, it's an it's an older scanSnap. Um, but my wife keeps her laptop there too and so we can connect it via USB, but it is sitting on the bar in our kitchen and that's really funny that people do that, but it's great.
0: Yeah, well, now it's with this wireless thing. It's great. You can it's have your better. computer in another room and it just shows up. So the IX500 does 50 sheets uh, per minute, it's it's. Uh, I'm sorry, it's a 50 sheet feeder, 25 pages per minute. It's USB 3, so if you do plug it in, you're going to get the data over very quickly. And it scans directly to mobile devices or to the Mac. It's got that advanced paper feeding system, so it pings the paper as it goes through. So if it catches two, it, it knows it and stops it before it screws up and misses one of the pages a great way to catch multi-feeds, and it's got that amazing Fujitsu ScanSnap software. That software comes with all of their products, the uh, S1300i, the iX500, and even the little S1100. That's got built-in OCR. It just solves so many problems for people because they've got a good marriage of excellent hardware and excellent software. Sound familiar? It should, because I think that's kind of a good analogy. Apple does the same things as Fujitsu in the scanning field. So go check out Fujitsu products. The iX500 is a big seller, and uh, it's very popular with our listeners. Katie, what is the website we use for Fujitsu? You can go check out. They have a special website for us. Oh, here it is. Easy.com. easy.com.
1: Yep, you got it.
0: Yeah, slash, slash SSMPU. And you can learn all about them there. Um, thanks Fujitsu for sponsoring the Mac power users and everybody go get yourself set up with one of those iX 500s. Jason, um, you know, since we've got you here, um, and this is the second show we've had with you, there is definitely a movement towards this mobile thing. Where do you see it in five years? I mean, is the iPad still kind of an outlier for real power users or is it going to, to make the jump?
2: Oh, I think, I think it's absolutely going to make the jump. Um, you, you look at something again, I'm forward promoting for, for Federico Faticci, but, uh, something like editorial that's got automation and, uh, you know, powerful kind of building block automation plus scripting. And you can see that these are full featured computers. What we think of as full featured computers and and, and, and they're growing, uh, by leaps and bounds, they're getting smaller and they're getting more powerful. Um, and I'm and, sure that the other software applications will come. I mean, like like I said, podcast editing, I can't do that now on an iPad. I bet you in a couple of years I can, but I can't yet.
0: Yeah. And even though Apple does kind of lock the thing down and, and put limits on the software, editorial is a good example. People are finding ways around that. And the software is only going to get better.
2: Yeah. The, the, we're we're really in the early days. I mean, think about this. The iPad mini, which came out in 2012, uh, and the the first iPad came out in 2010 yeah so in two years they went from or two and a half years they went from that original ipad to one that is as small as the mini and it's quite a bit more powerful than the original ipad because it's an ipad 2 essentially um and then then with the big ipad we've got retina the you know the processors are more powerful there's more storage that's only going to increase as well as the speed of our connections and and the, the connections to the cloud uh so i do think that they're going to become more powerful devices. They're going to be different. They're not going to be the same as our our Macs. And the, I think the Mac is going to stick around because it's got uh, it's still going to have things that people prefer to use it for and things that it can do. But I think that the capabilities of the iPad are going to keep increasing as time goes along. I think that the software, you know, we are really still in the infancy uh, of this kind of touch software, and it's going to get. Um, you know, it's still getting better. And we see something like editorial. It's a great example that there are um, it's coming. All that stuff that we think of as serious work is going to come to these these devices eventually.
0: Yeah, I agree. I just think it's inevitable. And when I look at, you know, I think I'm skewed a little bit because I'm such a geek. I like to do things on my Mac that just simply aren't possible on an iPad. But then when I look around me at coworkers and family members who are not who don't read Macworld magazine and who don't get hung up on this stuff like I do, they are perfectly fine with an iPad. And yep. even if it's a little slower for some of the things they used to do on their computer, they're so much happier on the device because it's easier to install apps. And there's just so much about it that, you know. It takes away so many pressure points they had with operating a computer. I, I just think it's inevitable that the thing is going to get huge. And uh, I'm very eager to see where it goes. I feel fortunate. You know, I was I was smart enough and interested enough in computers the first time, um, you know, we got to kind of the command line interface. I was a little kid, but I was very interested in it. And I was around when we had the big transition to the graphical user interface with the original Mac. And now here I am watching something else again. It's It's very exciting for me.
2: Yeah, I agree. This is a, it's a big shift and it's not going to be the same, but it's going to be, uh, it's going to be good. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about uh Mac that I had, um, I was thinking about the iMac era and the Mac that I had back then, um, running OS nine or OS eight. Mm-hmm. And I think about it now and I think, wow, what a bad, what a bad user experience that was. It was the best that there was at the time, but you know, using computers was, was a mess. And it's better now, but it's still not great. And I feel like for all the things that, that, um, that the iPad is not going to do because it's going to be more locked down, for most people, it's going to be a better experience for more things that they care about than the computer and uh that may not be true for the for for geekier people who have very specific tasks that goes back to the whole steve jobs cars and trucks metaphor thing which is you know they sell trucks because some people like trucks and some people need them to do work but most people use the car i think it's true i think for most the most of the needs of most regular people you know these things are going to be more than powerful enough for for everything they're going to do and it's going to it's going to be a very different world
1: yeah thoughts katie I can't wait, Katie. I'm here. Can you? <laughs> oh, do we have a Skype issue? No, I can't wait. No. I'm very excited because I'm going more and more mobile, and I think. But yet, I use I use my my truck a lot too. So I don't know. Maybe yeah. I need an SUV. Something in between.
0: I, I don't know what you. are I don't too even far? know what that so means. A pro? I don't
2: yeah.
1: know. <laughs>
0: How about a boat? I, what would a I, boat be? I don't <laughs> know. Something in between. <laughs> I know what a uh, a Delta rocket would be. <laughs> the new Mac Pro. Ah, oh, there you go. <laughs> well, anyway, Jason, thanks so much for coming back on the show, and thanks for everything you bring to the community. I mean, I know you were a big moving force behind Tech Hive, which has become my favorite internet firehose, and um, I know that you're the moving force behind my favorite podcast, The Incomparable. So, so we really appreciate everything you do for us, and uh, hopefully, we'll see you again soon.
2: Yeah, I would. I would. I'm happy to come back every time. Thank you again for having me. It's really an honor to be uh, talking to you guys. I love your podcast. um, And the workflows uh, episodes are always fascinating. It's so great to hear people and how they uh, how they get their get their work done. I'm 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 so often on the other side of writing those stories about that sort of thing. So it's really fun to to turn the tables and uh, and listen to you guys talk to people that I admire about how they get their work done. And it's great. So I'm so happy to have been here. All right okay. well you can
0: find us at MacPowerUsers.com and uh feedback goes to feedback at macpowerusers.com and twitter we are at MacPowerUsers, and Katie's at Kitty Katie Floyd and I am at max Sparky Jason where can people find you
2: you can find me at uh at jsnell on twitter uh, obviously Macworld.com and uh techhive dot com and uh the incomparable.com is your one-stop shop for uh, the incomparable podcast and there's links to the five by five podcast and links to our goodreads group and all sorts of other stuff that we've got up there so the incomparable.com and that's on twitter at the incomparable i
0: really Excellent. love that new logo by the way
2: thanks it's got robots and rocket ships and stuff I mean, we're gonna do some like t-shirts that? you know because yeah. you gotta do t-shirts
0: And uh, thanks, everybody. Uh, If everything goes according to plan next week, we're going to be here with Federico and talking editorial and some of the other iOS text workflows. So, uh, bone up on that one, and we'll see you then.